Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignol, visual artist, and we have a guest today with us, Christina Romeo. And I first came across your art probably a few years ago anyway on Instagram. And right away, I really fell in love with it. It actually kind of feels like a more feminine version of what I'm doing in a way a little bit. It's very loose, but it's, I don't know, it's got a really cool feel to it. So I really loved it. I don't know how long you've been creating professionally, but that's what we kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about. You know, on this podcast, we talk about everything to do with art as far as the business side of things and the technique and everything. So let's just get into it. So when did you start creating? (laughs) That's a funny question. For me, I've never taken any formal instruction in art. It's it's all intuitive for me or it was, you know, ooh, if we want to get real hokey about it, kind of like a calling. I immigrated to Canada when I was 19 years old and I was in this remote mountain town, literally in the middle of nowhere, hours from a town, no big box stores. You know, it was like just... 65 feet of snow every year. I had never seen snow because I grew up in the South. So I was having panic attacks. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And I just started to draw and started to paint because, you know, I didn't have anything else to do really. And it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, once I think you get bitten, you can't stop. I wasn't necessarily a child that drew a lot or thought, oh, I'm going to be an artist because I really like to create even though I feel like I was a creative person, because I think we all are. But that's kind of how it started with me. Basically stuck in the middle of nowhere with nothing to do. (laughs) When was that? Like about what time frame? (laughs) It was around 1991. Okay. Yeah. So what, like 30 years almost? Yeah. So a long time. That's really cool. You've been creating for a long time. Mm -hmm. And what about when you started thinking about doing it? professionally or thinking about like, could I actually sell my art? Yeah, that also came to me by surprise because, you know, I'm one of those ancient people that (laughs) happened to be one of the first people on the Etsy platform. I've been on Etsy since like since they started. When was that? 2004, 2000? I don't know, way long time ago. And so back then it was like the wild, wild west. Anything you posted on Etsy sold, right? Like it was like, yeah, because the reason I say that is because when I look back at my art now, I'm like, that was crap. Who was buying that? <laughs> like, And I just felt like I have all this stuff. I'm like obsessed with creating because, you know, I'm, I have an obsessive personality. So what am I going to do with it? I started posting on Etsy and it started selling. And I think from there, it created more motivation for me. You know, it's like, oh, people actually like this. So I'm just going to keep pushing through, you know, this creative journey. And then that made me a professional artist, if that makes sense. You know, just I think if you're online in any form for a period of time and you have a style or you have a creative output that people like, they're going to want to have a piece of it, whether that's buying it or, you know, whatever, encouraging it. And so that just develops into a profession. So it actually is my second job, I always say, or my second profession, because I still do have a day job. That's interesting. It's funny because when you think about transitioning to a professional artist, it's not like you can just name a specific date because I know when the first time I did a, a paid job, it wasn't like I felt like a professional because I got one paid job. But then it's hard to put your finger on when you actually feel like you transitioned, If you, I guess. Does that make sense? Totally. When I'm out 
talking to people. And I do remember one of your podcasts <laughs> talking about, you know, are you a hobby artist? Are you a professional artist? You know, talking about that journey for people. Even when I'm out and about, I don't say, hey, I'm a professional artist to people I meet that don't really know me. I just say I'm an artist. When someone asks you what you do, what do you say? This is sad. I usually say I work for OHSU, which is my day job, you know, and I work in healthcare. I'm a director for a very large teaching research hospital in Oregon, and it is a very large scope position. And unfortunately, that's what I usually say to. Isn't that funny? And you know, the mm. thing is, if someone Googled you, the first thing that would come up is your art. Never come up. Yeah, none of that other stuff. I do have, you know, a lot of just like, you know, most of us, you have a lot of returning patrons or fans or supporters of your art collectors. And one of them out of all the years I've been in the professional art business, reached out to me and said, Hey, do you have a LinkedIn? I'm like, yeah, I do. But it's really going to be boring stuff for you. Because my LinkedIn, I usually reserve for the health uh, field. And um, I connected with her on that. <laughs> but other than that, most people, like you said, if they Googled me, they would never know that I work in that industry. Yeah, that's fascinating. Is there a reason you think you do that? Would you rather say that you're an artist when someone asks you? Um, I'm not embarrassed by it. And I do still, I think once I get to know people, they find out and I do say it. But it is a goal. I think I, that's why I love that one podcast that you guys were talking about that you know, that you have to make decisions in your life. If you want to take the leap and be a professional artist, you have to make some decisions in your life about your spending or, you know, other things. And for me, I have been a single parent for many years, raising three boys, and I've always needed the dual income because, you know, let's face it, you can't survive on a single income. And so I've never right. wanted to take the leap, one, because of fear and too, because I've had all these mouths to feed. Right. But yeah, I don't think I would be embarrassed telling people I'm an artist. I just don't know why. I just don't know why I don't present myself as such. Well, because everyone else who sees your work would automatically think Christina the artist, right? And so I, I think that's that's so fascinating to, to get it inside. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk to you because just to play off what Joe was saying, it's like the only thing we have to go on is what we see online, right? So we see your Instagram and, and if you Google you and your website. So that's kind of how you come across online, but then you maybe don't feel the same as how you, you know what I mean? You don't feel like the same person that you're putting in the world. I don't know. Is that what it is? Or it's just that? It is true because art has always been for me. And I think maybe that's partly because, you know, as a young person, I didn't have any aspirations and, and maybe that that's just family upbringing. And, you know, I was, it was never encouraged that that was a career that you could make money at, that you would ever do. That was just off the plate. So it, I just, ignored it. But I just went into sciences, uh, health and sciences and, you know, went to school for that. And I'm good at what I do and managing and directing people. And it's weird because I have about over a hundred employees that, you know, report directly up to me through managers and supervisors. And I don't think any of them, maybe one knows I'm an artist, but and none of them know that. I'm. <laughs> That's also great. It takes so much it's got to take pressure off too in a lot of ways. And now art is still an mm -hmm. outlet rather than art being mm -hmm. a responsibility. And there's a, there's a really, so that can sometimes be really hard for artists who don't have a, a second form of income because that's now always the stressor mm -hmm. in the back of the mind. And so, yeah, I, that's why I like that podcast. 
because you guys talked about that more in depth, and I don't know what episode that was, <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed it because it is true. It made me really critically think about that. And, you know, I do anyway, but it really does create that buffer for me. Art is a sacred space and I can create, it gives me the freedom to mess around and explore different techniques. And I don't really care because, you know, sure, I have a following and I am somebody online, but that's not why I'm doing it. And so if I get egg on my face, I get egg on my face. Oh, well, I'm keeping myself happy and doing what I really love to do. I love that you say you have had no formal training. And I know there's a lot of people who are artists listening to this podcast who are currently struggling or still struggling with the idea. Do I get formal training? Right? Do I go to art school? Do I just keep taking classes online. Do you take classes online? Do you want to ever pursue an ed a further education in art? Uh, I'd like to hear what you have to think. About. That's a great question. And funny enough, like during the whole pandemic and COVID, I did. I took a lot of art classes this last year online, which I never did before. And, um, oh, you know, we all became like, it was like this vortex just spinning around like another art class. Let's do it. I learned a lot of right. different really cool techniques and it was awesome. But what I found was for me, it took me away from my intuitive self and I didn't like that very much. And so I've locked myself down off of art classes right now <laughs> because I started like being someone else. <laughs> it's so easy to do. Yeah. You're trained more and more into the nitty gritties of how things work and why things work. You forget what makes you you mm -hmm. and you sometimes lose that. And so it is a, a little bit of a give and take or catch 22 where like even if you did go to art school, it might take years for you to get back to where you are now just to almost unlearn some things in order to redo who yeah. you are. Mm -hmm. It's not like anybody even cares if you go to art school or not. Like if people are looking through Instagram mm -hmm. for new artists and they find your work, like they could care less if you have formal training. If they like the work and mm -hmm. connect with it, that's all they care about. And so I think it's mm -hmm. cool that you... You don't have formal training and you were able to just figure it out yourself. There's so much available online now, you know, YouTube videos and mm -hmm. tutorials that I think mm -hmm. art schools may start to struggle in the future because of that. I don't know because they're so expensive. I think so. I feel like I'm sometimes taking online classes in order to loosen up. Mm -hmm. I, like I've now, I'm now so tight mm -hmm. that I have to remind myself to throw paint around mm -hmm. just to see what happens and to let the spontaneity of the mm -hmm. piece come come yeah through. because you get so stressed and you know i hear that that is a running theme over and over for you know my fans or people who enjoy my work and reach out to me and dm me or whatever and they're like you know how do i loosen up and it made me critically think about that for myself like how do i do it and i think all artists you get to a place like if you're working on a piece whatever and sometimes it just it's so frustrating you're at that point where you're just like so ready to give up and i know for me i just say keep pushing through it walk away and then come back and or whatever and sometimes just allow yourself to make mistakes i think people i know for me you're so afraid to make a mistake that sometimes you just don't try a new technique or don't try to be more relaxed because the other way is comfortable it's been proven to work for you, so you keep doing it. Do you find yourself ever getting into a creative block? And if so, how do you get through that? I did. It hasn't happened to me very often. And in my professional creative career life, I, you know, obviously have a lot of connections and friends and hearing them and their feedback on 
how often they hit creative blocks. You know, I, I don't brag about, hey, I don't have any creative blocks, but you know, it made me, you know, I'm like, wow, that's pretty trippy. I feel bad. I don't know why, you know, they have hit so many creative blocks, but it, it finally did hit me about two years ago. And I thought, oh my God, this is terrible. Like now I know what they're talking about. It's terrible. And for me, I just pushed through it by, I, have several different media that I work in mediums. Like I also work in ceramics and textile. And so I will just switch to a different one to kind of, you know, try something new to get my brain, you know, working in that direction. I don't know what other people are doing. Like if you were strictly a painter, maybe pick something else up right. and try something else. Yeah, I agree. I noticed that on your site, you, you do stuff with ceramics and stuff, which is really cool. I was going to say, I saw like a video because I follow you on Instagram and like I've learned so much from watching your like time-lapse videos or just the videos where you're just creating there was because you use like ink and then you use like a brush with some water and it helps it kind of spread and I've been using a technique that I just saw you do like I had never even tried it before and so like oh, cool. and now it's like something I like doing in a lot of my drawings so it's cool to be able to put stuff like that out there in the world and then other people can see it and you weren't explaining how you were doing it it was just like a video showing your process and i was able to like pick up on that so i think sharing videos like that is so cool and you know other artists can learn That's so really much cool. just from watching stuff like that yeah it's very flattering and you know <laughs> That, that, that's that's super cool and super flattering. And you're right. Every time I put a video out like that, I get a lot of questions. Hey, what pen is that? Or, you know, whatever. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, doesn't everyone know this? You just do this. And then, and then you have to step back and go, oh, yeah, this is cool. You are actually sharing, you know, just for fun. And then it is helping someone else in the end. Right. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to explain what you're doing, right? And yeah. articulate your thought process as you're doing it. Ooh, I that's so hated hard. that. I know so many people who like want to know that, right? They want to get inside your head or understand what what you're thinking about. It's difficult, especially if you're an intuitive. Maybe it is the same for all artists, but I think for intuitive, I think to myself, well, I just do it. I don't really know how I'm doing this. I just do it. Right. I know for myself, like I'm just a visual learner. So when Joe said, you know, sometimes it's hard to articulate what you're doing as you're doing it. But like, I think a lot of artists, just watching somebody work, you can learn so much. You don't even have to articulate it. I guess that's what's cool about artists watching artists, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's great. Christina, do you have a uh, medium of choice? Mm -hmm. Like if you were to just start right now, right away, what would you pick up first? You're killing me, Joe, with the questions. That's awesome. And this is a question I beat myself <laughs> up over all the time because, you know, social media or let's say the internet or the explosion of social media in the last couple of years has been great and it has been destructive, you know, to the creative process for so many people. Yeah. And even for me, I never really cared what people thought or what I was doing, I just did something I liked, and then I posted it online. And if other people liked it, great. If they didn't like it, well, well, you know, move on, keep going. And now it's like, oh, the algorithm, and you need to do this, and you need to have a clean page that's cohesive and everything. You can't post a painting one day, abstract, and then ceramic the next day, and then textile the third day. You're screwing up your Instagram. You know, and then that's stressful and you're like, um, you're thinking about likes and all the, the, you know, the exposure and all this stuff. And so I'm like, well, maybe I should just pick one medium and stick to it, you know, and be that person. And which one would I pick? And then I always hit the wall. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't want to pick just one. I right. just go with the flow. I go with whatever I feel and just however I feel that day, honestly. I think like 
maybe three or four years ago, what you're talking about with like having an Instagram that's really clean and having it all make sense and fit together is was important. But I feel like now with TikTok and people are just showing their real selves a lot on social media. I think that's what people want. And so Good. I think it's cool that you're just you'll do ceramics sometimes and, and another and post sometimes process stuff or whatever. I, I don't think it needs to be as cohesive as it may be used to. That's nice to hear. That's good feedback because, you know, you're just a lone island trying to figure it out. So I do want to talk a little bit yeah. about Etsy because mm-hmm. I you've been on Etsy now for, you said since 2004 when it first kind of started. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Like I know it was in the early stages. The reason I want to talk about it is because, so at that time, because I wasn't on Etsy that for that long. Mm-hmm. At that time, could you just post and people would just naturally find your stuff? Like you didn't need to have, because now you kind of have to have like a separate social media where people can find you and then you kind of drive them to your Etsy shop. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people will find your Etsy shop just searching through Etsy, but a lot more will find it through other sites. So were you trying to drive them from another place or were people finding you just organically on Etsy? Just Etsy. I only did Etsy. You know, at that time, I mean, I had, my third son in 2004. So babies and young kids, you know, younger preteens and stuff in the house and kids everywhere. I didn't really have time for all the other stuff. I didn't even know that there was other stuff. I don't even think I was on Facebook other than, you know, just dumb, whatever, high school people crap, but just Etsy. (laughs) Has it been consistent? Etsy? I uh, gave up on Etsy for a while because I think when you build enough of a following, for me anyway, I was able to drive the traffic. And, you know, once Instagram explosion happened, I was able to drive the traffic to my own website to make the sales, you know, because Etsy, the the fees were really high. I was like, "Mm, not really worth it. And so... It's just in the past, I would say, since the COVID, the lockdown, that I decided to give Etsy a whirl again. And I went and posted some original stuff. And, you know, I could, I couldn't keep up with it. They were selling so fast. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on with Etsy? I have no idea why or, you know, what their kind of current algorithm is to connect with. I can, I can kind of answer that question. Okay. I don't remember how long ago, maybe about a year ago, Etsy started really advertising off their site a lot. And so if you go on, when I go on Pinterest, for instance, and I'm looking yes. for art and, and just checking out other people's art and seeing what they're doing, mm-hmm. I'll see advertisements for my Etsy shop. <laughs> and I don't pay for advertisements. Oh, Etsy's yeah. paying for those. And so, and I've seen advertisements for your Etsy shop on Pinterest too. Oh, that's cool. And you're not paying for those. No. But Etsy, so Etsy pay, pays for that stuff. And then <laughs> if somebody clicks on that and then buys that thing from you, Etsy does take a, a small fee. Oh, I see. Interesting. So they, yeah. So they put these ads out that, that you only pay for if someone buys using that ad. And okay. I, don't, I don't think you can even opt out of it. I think they just put those ads out. No. Oh, that's interesting. It's kind of like the, the fine lines in your Etsy contract. It's like, we will blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And oh, what they do cool, is, though. I think what they do is they see, they try out all of the different Etsy um, listings and whichever ones convert at a higher rates, they keep putting more money into those and they put less money into the ones that aren't converting. Interesting. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I've noticed a lot more people buying from my shop that never yeah. had seen my work before or weren't driven from my own Instagram. They're driven from like a different site. So I think that's what's happening. Yeah. Because I, I have actually been contemplating well, I'm, I'm going to open up my own shop on my website. Okay. So do what you did, basically. Yeah. 
But because Etsy's been so good at advertising, I'm kind of thinking about keeping the Etsy shop open also Mm -hmm. and having both. But Etsy keeps taking down my listings. So like I've had three listings taken down in the past couple of months because they're of, I do a lot of portraits of celebrities. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're, if it's like a musician, their label or their manager will go through Etsy. And if they see any portraits of them, they'll flag it for copyright infringement. Interesting. I mean, I did remember that podcast episode of yours as well, where you guys talked about copyright infringement, but that's new information to me. I always thought if you, you know, it was your representation of that person or whatever, that it was still okay. But It is okay, technically. Um, they can't own their own image. And so... Yeah, like your interpretation of their image. Right. If right. you took like a photo of them and you did like a a copy of it. So it looked basically just like the photo and there were, you didn't add any artistic elements to it. Mm-hmm. Then they could maybe claim that was copyright infringement. But as long as you're adding your own spin on it and adding other elements, and I always do, I add photographs and other stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. they don't really, legally, they wouldn't be able to sue me over them, but Etsy doesn't want to have any, they don't want to deal with it. So if somebody flags something for copyright infringement, they just take it down. So that's why I'm thinking about opening my own shop. It might not be so much copyright infringement either, Lewis. It might be more just trademark. It, it could and be. And so, like, a band name is right. trademarked, and, like, sometimes their name can be mm-hmm. trademarked or something. Which is... I'm not sure. Well, right. I know the band name can be. And so, maybe that's enough to just take it down because you might have used But I don't the write name. the band name or anything in yeah. the yeah. thing. But I know what you mean. Like, they're, they're very uh, finicky, but usually... Like none of that would hold up in court. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I've talked to a lawyer about it the first time it happened Mm -hmm. and they were like, no, you'd be fine. But Etsy's just, they're playing it safe, basically. So then once those images are down, you don't try to repost them or reach out to Etsy. You're just like, no, those are down. And this is my thoughts on it. I have two kind of thoughts. The first thought is Etsy does make it clear in their uh, email when they take something down. Like if you repost it, you could lose your privileges on Etsy and they could shut your shop down. Mm. But my other thought is, if a celebrity doesn't want me to sell a portrait of them, I'm actually okay with that. I don't feel like it's copyright infringement, but I don't want to do something that they're not comfortable Mm -hmm. with, really. Mm -hmm. And so, I prefer they just reach out to me personally and just say, hey, do you mind taking it down rather than Mm -hmm. flagging it through Etsy? But so, I don't try to repost things like that. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, you know, I back rewind a little bit on the Etsy and opening your own shop and just, you know, my thoughts about how I can make Etsy or still post work on Etsy and then also sell on my own site. I was thinking about it seems like larger or more expensive originals don't sell as well on Etsy. So reserving those for your personal site and then maybe having Etsy as the print shop or something like that. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. It would be just good to have both shops so I can kind of rely on two sources. But I I mean, it's just a thought. And so I thought it was interesting that you had done that already. You had already moved from Etsy to your own shop. Mm -hmm. And did you notice when you did make that move? originally? Because originally you you made the move and you stopped selling on Etsy altogether, right? I did do both for a while, but it's hard to manage most of my stuff as originals. I haven't really gotten into the print game, although I'm trying to now, but just have never really sold that well for me. And I'm like, I don't know why. But anyway, it was hard to manage. Oh, it sold on Etsy. And then you got to hurry up and make sure you take it down off your site. And it's like having it posted all over and So what is that stock management or whatever? It's not really stock. But so I try to just post in one place or or another. 
instead of on both sites. Reserve some stuff for my site. And then another thing about having your own website is that you also drive that traffic to your website for other things, such as this podcast. You know, you have your whatever main page and this is all the other content I have to offer, whether it's your blog or, you know, whatever else. And it's all in one place and they can buy your work from you there. And you're driving them to a store that only sells your stuff. Whereas yeah. if you drive them to Etsy, then they could technically find uh, some right. other artist they like better right. or whatever. You <laughs> totally. Know. Yeah. We have short attention spans now. <laughs> How do you handle like shipping labels and stuff? Because Etsy makes that very easy when you when someone orders, you know, you just, is that more of a challenge when you're selling on your own shop? No. And this is what I would advise. And I have had genius service from this company is ShipStation. They just make it so easy, their platform. You can connect to multiple different, like I have a WordPress site, but I also have a Squarespace site because I'm transitioning from Squarespace to WordPress, God, that's hard. WooCommerce or whatever. And um, you can connect to multiple platforms through ShipStation, their labels. I actually now when I sell off Etsy, I buy the label from ShipStation because now this is my experience. I don't know if other people have had this experience, but I also have had this feedback from customers who have purchased other items, not from me, but on Etsy is that when I purchase the shipping label from Etsy, the parcels seem to get lost somewhere. And it's happened to me a few times. And, you know, I've been a professional artist for a long time and I've only had a few parcels. They've always been recovered, but it's frustrating, painful to have them sitting on a shelf somewhere. And it's always happened when I purchase an Etsy label. If I purchase them myself through ShipStation, that never really seems to happen. It's just very clean. That's strange. I get that's frustrating. Yeah, I've, I've had some issues. You have? Mm. With packages getting lost and you know, through Etsy. And it's hard because it's like, once you do the, your part on your end and you've shipped it out, especially if you do it within like 24 hours of the order. Mm -hmm. And then when the shipping isn't handled right, it like, it kind of makes you look bad, even though you didn't do anything wrong. And so mm -hmm. with original work, it's not like you can just send it a replace, like if it's a print or a book, yeah, I'll just send out a new one. But if it's an original, you're kind of stuck, right? Yeah, it's a pain. Yeah. And then I've noticed a couple of times, like um, with international buyers, I'll print the label out and it goes to some centralized warehouse location first. And I remember the first yeah. time going, what is that? Where is that? You know, I hope this gets there because it's not the address that the person has listed on their Etsy, you know, but those actually take a long Even time to get to the customer. Days, I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm just not into that. Yeah. With COVID and all the different regulations and customs, they've made it definitely more challenging. I used to have stuff that people ordered for Christmas oh, and wow. they still haven't received their package. Oh, wow. And they, they keep messaging me and I'm like, it's still... The, you know, it's not lost because the tracking is still there. These are all international orders that mm -hmm. that happened. And uh, it's they're sitting in customs or something, you know, it's mm -hmm. super frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had a few buyers from Spain. Where's my order? Well, sitting in your postal system somewhere in Spain. I don't know. <laughs> so is it mainly individual buyers that you have? Or do you also get commercial and custom? I do. And I'm, I'm a, I've actually have a you know, a, like a separate prong to my um, creative business, which is licensing. And I'm sure you both have crossed over this, but um, I have several of my pieces licensed for, I work with certain companies and they're in hotels and hospitals and, you know, various different places. 
a lot of times, mostly they're boutique hotels. We should talk about that. Yeah, we should kind of get into that a little bit more because we haven't brought up licensing much on the podcast. And so I'd love to hear your two cents all about it. It's uh, very cool, especially with you're working with a company that does all the work for you, such as you just send them the high-res file and they send you the check. <laughs> That's great because I have... And it's weird. I didn't seek out licensing. It sought me out just by my presence on the internet. Different companies, you know, I guess they would have their agents or whatever, like they're someone who has been hired to redo. Like there's a very famous hotel in Portland, Oregon called the Heathman. You know, it's the kind of hotel where they have the guys in the lederhosen out front that, you know, let you in like one of those fancy, fancy hotels. And somebody who is hired to redo the whole hotel reaches out to a licensing company that then reaches out to me and says, hey, we want to do one of your images. We need 200 of them for our hotel project. And so you send them the high res and they do all the rest and then they just send you the check. So they're like prints that are going to hang up in the rooms, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Mm-hmm. And then some of the companies I negotiate, like another little boutique hotel in Oregon, it's in wine country. Like they just did a huge remodel and wanted several of my pieces. And so because I was kind of contracting for myself for that one, they did all the work with the printing. I negotiated the price based on the sizes. They told me which sizes they wanted and which images they wanted. And then, you know, I said this price per whatever size. And that's a little bit more stressful because I don't like working straight with the designer. I like working with the companies that are already licensing companies. They just have it so tight and everything is just way better that way. That's really interesting and cool because I I guess I didn't realize that was fall under licensing, like uh, something like that where it's pieces that are going in hotel rooms. I always think of licensing as something that's going on like a product or, you know, like Mm -hmm. they're going to print your your Mm -hmm. art on like hats or something and then they're they're licensing it. So Mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to do it. And I think that's, that's really cool. And, and like you said, you didn't seek it out. They just found you, right? You sign a contract. So it's a licensing contract and they, you know, the language in the contract speaks about, we are purchasing the rights to license this image for this project. But I have also worked with other retailers where my images were placed on products like those vinyl stick on the wall or people could buy posters or bedspreads or whatever. But now that was way before the explosion of all these websites where pretty much artists can do that themselves. You know, you can, what are some of those sites? I forget the names, but you know. I know what you're talking. You can have your art put on like phone cases and mugs mm-hmm. and stuff. You're just licensing your own stuff basically, but you have to get the traffic there or compete with all the other people on those sites. I right. still do have a one, a, like a probably five year ongoing contract with a company out of Florida and they are a large scale art company um, and they, you know, basically work with artists and then they do all of the shows and whatever the work to get your your art into hotels. And I get royalty checks from them once a month, whatever sells, you know, and whatever our contract is, they give me a check. It's a small amount of money, but it's nice. Yeah, no, it's it's nice to have something like that for yeah, um, to supplement some more of your income. I'm curious because it sounds similar to me, like you sell most of your work like online and people find you on the internet. And that's kind of how it is with me. And I know Joe sells a lot more personally to people. So it's like a different... Oh, personally? Well, you know what I mean? Like Joe has a lot more clients that hire him and their businesses are like town and stuff. And so it's kind of a different way that 
you're going about it. And I'm just curious a little bit about that. Like, do you sell your work like in, in the local area in any like small shops or do you have gallery shows that you do in the area or are you really just do do most of your sales and everything online? Yeah, right now still most of my sales are online. And in the past, when I first started out, I would say that I started out as a textile artist. And so a few book publishers reached out to me for my kind of abstract textile work. And so I've done a few book projects with, you know, like Lark books or whatever. And it kind of platformed into abstract painting, large abstract paintings. And when I was had a stronger presence online for just abstract paintings. I was uh, canvassed by galleries on a more frequent level. So I did work with galleries during that time, but I hated it. I hated it. I, it was tough, I found. Well, what, what did you hate about it? Can you go into a little bit more detail? Because I know there's a lot of artists out there that are hoping to get into galleries. I know. Um, you know and so tell, tell them why you didn't like it so that maybe they can reconsider. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for me, it was a lot of work for not a lot of return. And so the, the gallery cut is quite high and, and the expectation is also high. The artists are for, for me, you know, a lot of the galleries like, so at the time I was living in Canada because I've only been back in the States since 2012. So I was in British Columbia and, you know, working with galleries on the East Coast, like South Carolina and a few other galleries on the, packaging up the pieces, getting them ready, getting them shipped out there, like large pieces, several large pieces, not really having any say in how they're hung because I'm not flying to South Carolina from British Columbia to, to partake in that. And then, you know, maybe a couple pieces sell, maybe not. And then, you know, just, I don't know, it's just a lot of work. And then when I would show in galleries that are closer geographically to me, you know, showing up and presenting on opening night. <laughs> that's not really my bag or my cup of tea, even though I know that that's what people really like. They want the art, but they also want you. They want your story. They want to know you. They want to talk to you. But it still didn't really equal more sales. It was just seemed like a lot of work. Maybe in the long run, it worked out because it. I think it's just one more piece to putting together your presence of who you are as an artist. So maybe that's bad of me to say, but, uh, you know, I guess being a single parent and working outside of the home, it just seemed like there was more work to that than just selling on, online. I actually agree with you almost fully because the, the last solo show I did was in Los Angeles a year ago. And I've had a few other people ask since then to do um, exhibits in a couple different areas. But my experience was for that last show I did, it was so much work getting all the work together and shipping it out. Thankfully, they took care of framing everything and hanging oh, nice. it. Yeah. And then I just had to fly out there for the opening. And by the time it was all said and done, and I had all the expenses that I were out of my pocket, and all the time I put into it, I, I feel like I could have had like one weekend Etsy sale and made just as much or more money. And it would have been way less work. But it, it was cool to get a nice trip out of it and go out to, to California for, you know, half a week or whatever. But it's like, man, it's galleries are are a lot of work. If they're local, it's less work for sure because the shipping and the travel mm -hmm. is taken out of the equation. It's the perceived credibility that you get, right, for being in a gallery. And so it's like, yeah, hey, now, now people will maybe treat my art mm -hmm. more seriously. And what I found, depending on where you live, if you do the local galleries, you may not have, like, it doesn't vibe with everyone. And, and I know I did a local, like, we have a very large art fair here that's nationally known and whatever. I, I was 
the emerging artists one year or whatever. And we live in a very, our population is, has a large senior population or an older, they're a wealthier, older population. And they would walk by my booth and go, not really sure what that is. You know, like, I don't really get it. And then you would get some people that were in the art world, and go, this is the best booth here or whatever. And so even showing locally, you may not get the breadth of an audience that understands your work. But you're in you're in Portland, Oregon, right? Yeah. I'm just south of Portland. Okay. So I'm in the capital, Salem, but close to Portland, like 40 minutes from Portland. So yes, yeah, so you could do shows there. And I know that that's a big art town for sure. It is. We're in the other Portland in Maine and even Portland, Maine has got pr- pretty good art scene for how small yeah. of a, a city it is. But Portland is kind of, the other, your Portland is known for being, mm-hmm. you know, out there. And, and close to Seattle, creatives. you know, there's lots of, a lot of buyers in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you know, the thing is about at galleries and exhibits is like, you don't even need to do them anymore to be a professional artist because you can sell directly to people and then you don't have to mark your prices up too crazy because you're not sharing that money with, you know, the gallery. And mm-hmm. so people, you benefit as the artist and the customer benefits. The only people that don't benefit are gallery owners because people, are, um, artists, I think, are becoming less likely to want to show in their galleries, yeah. honestly. Absolutely. If it wasn't so much work. Another successful line for me has been entering contests. So I didn't do anything last year. I don't even know. Last year, did it even happen? Who knows? Um, in 2020, but prior to that, you know, I will enter national or international depending contests that apply to my work, obviously, like mixed media on paper or whatever, collage, because I really like to incorporate collage in my work. And those, if you garner one of the top prizes, you can walk away with a lot of money. And a lot of times there is a gallery showing at the end, which you've had to do nothing except present one piece or two pieces, whatever. And those pieces always get purchased by collectors. And, you know, the last one that I did was a mixed media paper contest. I'm calling it a contest because I can't think of a better word, but whatever. Yeah. And my pieces are now in the permanent collections and, you know, universities or wherever all over the, the United States. And I, I kind of like that for the amount of the ROI on that. It's a lot better. <laughs> and where do you find these uh, contests or juried shows? Like if, if people are thinking, if people are listening right now and thinking like, how do I even find out about these places or, or how to enter into them? Like, where do you find them? When I first started, I did a Google search for, oh, yeah. is that mine? For online art contests. And I just, scads of different links come up and, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole from there. But I would just start with a Google search on online art contests. If I think of something after, I'll I'll send it to you. And once yeah, you're, I'd be curious. Yeah, it's really fun too. I like it because you know I'm a competitive person with myself, and so I like that part of it. Like, oh, cool! I'm going to try for this. I'm going to try for that. You know, and sometimes it's a couple thousand dollars for one piece, and it's like great. And then someone buys it on top of that for whatever price, because you can name your price when you present the piece, and then it's nice. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. That's and great. so that sounds like it's definitely worth looking into if you're out there and thinking about it. I've, I've seen them before and I've actually got people message me about certain different contests and, you know, saying I can submit through this link. And I generally haven't done them because I always feel like there's going to be so many people entering. There's no way I'll even win. So I don't want to waste my time. But I mean, that's probably not the best attitude, especially where that's probably what a lot of people are thinking, which means that there's a lot, probably 
less people entering than you even think. Yeah. And, you know, most of the contests, um, right. like I said, I, I can't think of that one platform I use, which is too bad. I'm sorry. But they will give you background on the judges. So you, if you wanted to really be a strategist about it, you know, you read the background on the judge because really sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two judges, whatever. And, and you might think, mm, yeah, this might not be the contest for me. I'll move on to a different one. But it's worth a try. Yeah. If, especially if you already have pieces that are made, you have to reserve it depending on the contest that you enter because they do have some sort of a showing usually at the end and they want the original piece to be sent for that show. Sometimes they cost money. That's another thing. Yeah. Sometimes it's like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. They're usually not yeah. high or $5. They're not really high, but yeah, that would be something to consider. I think that's one thing too that always made me put me off a little bit because I'm like thinking, there's so many scams, like I'm worried that it's going to be a scam. But I guess you can do, definitely do more research into each contest to see how legit they are before you do enter one and pay any money. There are free ones out there too. I've seen, I've seen them. So that it's just a matter of being picky and figuring out which contest might work best for you, right? Yeah, you get a feel. They'll, they'll give you like a little bio on what the contest is about and the meaning of it and la 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 or a show or whatever they're calling it. And so you can pretty much tell right away, mm, this one's not for me. You know, I don't want to be associated with this or how many hours a week do you work? Oh, that's a tell lots. Just uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Definitely more than forty. Oh, so you're working like full time another job and you have three oh, yeah. That's three a big boys job. you said. Mm -hmm. So how do you even find time to do art? Because you're always posting new art. So I know and you I Obsessive. I'm an obsessive person. And so once I grab onto something, I can't let go. And I mean, that's good in this respect, because I just, I don't think I can go a day. It's almost, it's like an addiction. You know, I think I probably have an addictive personality and art is my addiction. I can't go a day without making art. Like I don't feel like my day is complete. And also my kids are grown now. So I have more time to myself. I do this job. Plus I work from home and, you know, squeeze it in around life. So is it a, a home studio mm -hmm. to, that you have? Yeah. I bought this house specifically for that. I'll buy it for the studio. In my mind, it's pretty extensive studio because it's also the ceramics. Uh, so do you have like basically two studios? This is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm going to say this out loud. I have three studios in this house. One is a textile That's room. not embarrassing. That's awesome. One is a textile That's studio. Awesome. One, I have a ceramic studio off the side of the garage. And then I have like a 700 square foot art studio painting. That's awesome. Drawing mixed media down in this house. But, you know, I was lucky when I came back to the United States, I was actually recruited for my daytime job in from a hospital system down in the United States that headhunted me and moved my whole family down here. And when we moved down here, it was unfortunately, but fortunately, at the really low end of the crash, the economy when it was really low. So this house was just a steal. And so it was good timing for me. I knew when I saw it, that one room, I was like, that is the studio and I'm buying this house. Right, right. It worked oh, out. That's right. awesome. And I bet you that helps that helps so much just psychologically. Like when you want to get into ceramics mode, you go to the ceramic studio and now because you're in the space, it's easier to get into that mode. In that mode mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I'm not a, I'm a very like, I don't like 
clutter or mess. And so I, yeah, I, my brain just doesn't work that way. If I had it all in one place, I would just go berserk. I wouldn't be able to right. handle that. I kind of feel the same way. Yeah, Joe, your studio is always so clean and organized. Whenever I go in there, I'm like, man, this is like super orderly, which is nice because it's, I feel like a, a space like that is easier to work in. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I, I agree with having to section things off too. It's like, this is my space for drawing. You know, that's my space for computer stuff. This is my space for sculpture stuff. Yeah. It just makes more sense. Yeah. The sculpture stuff is really messy and it's not healthy. And, you know, the dry dust from clay is not healthy for you to have in your lungs or around kids or family spaces. So, you, you know, you want that to be separate and textile needs to be clean. You know, it's fabric. So, can't have right. paint on it. Right. Was the job that you still have now... You said you work from home. Were you working from home before COVID hit or is it because of COVID? Yeah, no, we work from home. We're a work from home. It's, um, I, w- I would say it's highly clinical, but also very IT based or driven, like, like population health statistics. It's a, a job where we just need our computers and we need access to health information and then we can do our job. So it's a very high, highly technical driven job. Yeah. But that's, well, that's also nice. interesting. It brings up another question I've had. Uh, do you do any work digitally? I do. Like you have such a tech job. I love that. I really love digital. Yeah, I don't know. Like I, I love it, but at the same time, I'm like, well, now what do I do with it? Like I, this needs to be a right. print or something. But like I said. I keep having people message me about, um, what is it called? That blockchain What's for that? digital work. Have you seen it? No. Yeah, NFTs. NFT blockchain. So this is like digital work and you can actually sell originals of digital work. Oh, that's cool. And a lot of digital artists are really getting into it because, you know, before if you have digital work, there's no way to sell an original. But yeah. th- this way, you, I, do you know anything about it, Joe? I started dipping my toes into all that stuff and, and researching it. And what's so cool about it too is you could sell like a digital piece that you that is now kind of protected in this blockchain so it's kind of you always have this copyright attached to it and so if this digital piece were to be sold again you get a piece you, of it right you can get a piece of it every time oh, it's sold cool. it's a you could attach like a 10 percent right. royalty to it and uh then it, you forever you forever get a piece Neat. of that cell that's jumping so it's almost like a a digital trading yeah, card, yeah. right and I, I did read too you can that artists that are not digital, so traditional artists are starting to get into it too. Because like what Joe's saying, if you can make it so that every time your piece of art sells, if you sell it to someone, but then they sell it, if you can get a little bit of a cut, I mean, that's really great for the artist because you can make royalties on a piece every time it's sold, right? Absolutely. That is kind of like licensing a bit, you know, like you're getting a royalty on it. Right. Right. And what's cool is, but like how, oh, go ahead, Joe. But like how, th- think about like an original piece that has gone up for auction. <laughs> And it's like, wow, now my work is worth $1 million, but I sold that piece for a thousand, yeah. right? you know, yeah. and I'm never yeah. going to see a piece yeah. of that. But now you can see a oh, piece that's of cool. it. And that's cool. I'm definitely going to so um, look into that because I have found, you know, I'm sure, you know, you every once in a while, Google your name, Google yourself. And I have found pieces of mine for sale, you know, that I sold. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. It's more than what I sold it for but sure <laughs> i would like a piece right. of that <laughs> right exactly exactly and so it is it is getting more and more accessible yeah. so we'll see we'll see how things roll it's out interesting. But it'd be it'd be interesting to play with yeah i just thought it was cool just for even digital artists but the fact that anybody can really use it and and make money off of their art as it continues to gain value and 
I guess if it just gains value, you don't make any money unless that person sells it. I think mm-hmm. I think there's also ways too where you can uh, have it available so people can buy the piece together. So you could like you could have a piece of the art, like you own one tenth of this art piece. Oh, I see. Yeah. So. Oh, that's interesting. I also read, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I did read on the blockchain. You can set it so that if they, if the person that you sold it to decides they are going to sell it and puts it for sale, that you're alerted. So as the artist, you could actually buy it back. You'd be the first person to be able to buy it back. So if you thought maybe like, man, I know I regret selling that piece. As soon as they decide they want to sell it, you can get it back. Cool. And is this just one website that you're talking about? Or an app or a platform? Or is this just a type It's a whole of- new space that's for yeah, yeah, And it, so there's, multi- there's multiple platforms. Cool. It's kind of confusing right okay. now. but It's, it's called no- it's NTF, right? Non-tangible something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wrote NFT. Not, NTF. Non-fungible, non-fungible. I think it's non- non-tangible. Because, you know, like digital art is not tangible. No, it's, it's an NFT. Is it? It's a, a non-fungible Oh, I had NFT token. down. Okay. I thought it was NT, but you're right now. I think you are right. NFT crypto. And that's cool. It's NFT. You're right. I read it wrong. Non, non-fungible tokens is what it's called. I, I read it wrong. I thought it was tangible just because it would make more sense. But, yeah, it does make more sense. But anyway, I mean, we've been going for an hour and we don't want to keep you all day. Is there anything you wanted uh, to talk about or, or tell people about while we have you? I guess I... You know, because it's funny when you're listening to podcast episodes, you want to talk back or add input. (laughs) And um, I've really enjoyed listening to all of your episodes, but I did want to expand on the one episode where you were talking about the, are you a hobby artist compared to a professional artist? And I know we touched on that here and just, you know, provide some more encouragement for anyone that might be listening to this that, you know, just, just create, create for you. If you have the urge to get that energy out of you onto any space, whether that's music or cooking or whatever, just do it, get it out. And it doesn't matter if you went to school or not. And don't even do it for being, you know, the, I think the mindset of being professional, maybe that'll happen, maybe that won't happen. But don't let that discourage you, I guess, you know, because you didn't go to school, just create. That's great advice. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, we brought that up again, too, because it's so true. And like people maybe don't think of themselves if, if it, art is their hobby, they don't necessarily think of themselves as artists. They just think of themselves as, I don't know, a dentist who does art or, mm-hmm. you know, a salesman who does art. So, I think it's cool to think of yourself as an artist. And, you know, I just thought of something actually real quick yeah. that I kind of wanted to go back to that I, I um, about the non-fungible what yeah. tokens. Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin. So, the last thing I wanted to mention and I, and I, should have brought this up while we were talking about it instead of going back to it. But one more cool thing that that's, you can do with that is when you do sell an original digital piece, you could sell it so that the, the person has all the layers Cool. so that they can, they can do what they want with all of the layers. But what I was thinking too is for music, you, a musician or a band could sell their original recordings, wow. the original recording as, you know, a one-off. And they could give you all the different tracks so you could kind of mix it how you wanted because you own it, the original. So, that's another option that would be kind of interesting to see if people would do it that way. I don't know. And that is interesting because it makes me think about pricing. Like, are we talking about like if you own the, the original, say, in that format that you just explained, like a m- music or even an art piece and you own all the layers, are you now own the rights to that piece if you're... 
change. Sometimes you yeah, do. Yeah, it depends on the sale right. right. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, the but price, the artist can hold the right. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, you, like, let's say you didn't own the rights, but what people are pricing their work at. Like, what does that pricing look it's like? It's got to be high, I you imagine. Think. When you sell your work, Christina, do you hold the rights to it? So, like, any original you sell. Um, I if do. somebody come, Yeah, I'm assuming. So, if someone comes along later and wants to license it for hotel rooms or something and you've already sold the original you still own the rights to it so you could still do that Mm -hmm. yeah i try to take you know high res scans tiff files and save them because i've learned by experience you know i've been contacted so many times by so many different companies and a few times i didn't have a high res image i'm like oh you know luckily they look through my portfolio and pick something else but that's a bummer so now i've learned just scan it all Keep yeah. a catalog. Is there anything yep. you're particularly excited about in your with your work these days? Like what's what's getting you jazzed? Oh, you know what's getting me jazzed lately is mono printing. I've really like obsessing about mono printing and then taking the mono print because uh, it seems kind of boring in itself to me, and then adding all the other stuff that I like to do, like ink and collage and illustrative work on top of it. But I love the lines that the mono prints add and the fact that I can't control them because I'll try to control it if I if I'm allowed to. And, um, you know, you just can't. You don't know what's going to come out, what smudge or mess. And I'm really liking that. So for me, because, you know, I, you know, didn't go to school, learned this technique on some video I watched, and then I've tweaked it a bit to make it fit with uh, the supplies that I have here at my house. I am taking like a waxy paper or plastic, little piece of plastic, and putting oil paint. Um, Actually, I'm using like an oil stick and putting the paint on there and then putting that down on my paper. And my substrate. And then I'm taking another paper because I like to illustrate and like copy paper or whatever. I'm putting it on top and then just drawing on top. And so whatever comes out, comes out. And it's just fascinating to me. It's so cool. Oh, cool. Oh, that's an interesting process. That's not what I was thinking when you said monoprint. I yeah, that's know. not what I was thinking. Yeah, because, well, and that's I'll cool. often take there's, I have a muse that I've been using lately, the same face that I use over and over again. And sometimes I'll use, I have an overhead projector. And so I'll project that if I want the face bigger or whatever. But one of my latest Instagram videos is one of those images. So you go have a look at that and you'll see what it kind of looks like. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we definitely will. You can't control it. You don't know. Like you think you're drawing a straight line and when you lift up that, I like the waxy paper better than the plastic, but when you lift it up, you definitely have something different than what you think it's going to be. Nice. Well, that's really cool. Well, I think we should wrap up. What? So well, where can people find you? Christina Romeo is your, your name, but um, you have Instagram? Yeah. Chromiola for all of the social media platforms. So Twitter, um, Instagram, And how do you spell that? C R O M E O and then L A. Basically, C Romeo and then La because I'm a girl. (laughs) And then, um, you know, chromiola.com. Awesome. Oh, and Etsy. All Etsy's chromiola too. It's all chromiola. I really appreciate it. Oh, definitely. If you find your your Instagram, that links to all those, they have a link, like a link tree anyway, right? That links to all that other stuff. So that's the best way to go and find you. Or just Google Christina Romeo Art and you'll come right up too. But I think if people like, if people are listening, they probably like Joe and I's work. And if you like my work, then I definitely think you'll like Christina's work because it does have a similar feel. It's just kind of a more feminine version of it in in a way. That's a very nice compliment. Thank you. 
Yeah, I take that as a compliment. To me, it's a compliment to me, to myself, because I'm comparing myself <laughs> to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks so much. Yeah, nice to meet you, Joe. Bye. Yeah, have a good you. day. Take care.